Yeah, I'm feeling a bit punchy, <laughs> a little bit nuts. You too? Yeah, it's been, wow, this well, this week. Who can, t- who, well, can't, no, neither can I. Isn't that funny, right? Yeah, okay, enough clowning around. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Eloquent in the Room, episode Legs 11. <laughs> is part one and it could just be a two-part series I'm not sure yet but what I can tell you is this is part one of a two-part interview at least I'm really excited to get into the topic of this episode but first I thought it appropriate to make mention of a few events that happened over the last couple of weeks this podcast is not meant to be political per se, but I am a feminist and an anti-racist and an LGBTQIA plus activist, so I do feel like I've finally woken up from the worst nightmare ever. (laughs) And I know that's an understatement for anyone who is listening to this from the USA. Um, And hello, by the way. Hi. Thank you so much for listening. I love you all. Um, I just want to say well done for getting rid of that clown. He definitely put the dick in Dictator. May you never forget his presidency because it's the most vivid cautionary tale imaginable. And don't forget either that half of the voters or almost half of the voters actually wanted to vote him back in based on evidence of his presidency to date. All so-called democracies the world over need to keep marinating on that particular thought for as long as it takes to sink in. No sweeping things under the carpet in this euphoric afterglow of the Biden-Harris victory. This is just the beginning of a very, very long journey and in the meantime, I would advise everyone from everywhere to... Pop onto social media and follow Janaya Khan for continual guidance in this collective healing process. If you forget to write that down, you remember the name of this podcast, The Eloquent in the Room. Look it up on Instagram. Go to my highlights and you will see a collection of Janaya's speeches. They will help inspire you and galvanize everything that this change in government in the US seems to represent on the outside. But let's just keep that fire going. Let's keep stoking it. Yeah, (laughs) I went there, guys. I went there. So what else has happened this past fortnight? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I appeared on someone else's podcast recently. Sex Stories with Y.O. Lee. That's W-Y-O-H Lee. She's from California. Um, Sex Stories sounds like a haven for erotic fiction. It's not. Um, However, there are a few episodes featuring Y.O. presenting her own original erotica. But mostly, though, it's just a bunch of really candid interviews with people who are prepared to open up in great detail about their sex lives, purely for the sake of sharing openly, without judgment or shame, for the edification and pure enlightenment of those listening. There's something about the 
delightful and perennially awestruck YO that makes you want to open up. And while I've opened up a fair bit in my own podcast, and no doubt I will a lot in the future, the conversation I have with YO is really candid and very specific to my shagadelic past. And it's extremely descriptive and even unsurprised at how candid I ended up being. But the most refreshing thing about her podcast, it is driven by completely, genuinely innocent curiosity about absolutely everything. Nothing comes across as salacious or creepy. She's just got wide eyes and she's just, tell me more, tell me more. And when she asks you questions, it's just really hard not to give very direct, specific and detailed answers. So if you are curious... Go check it out. That's Sex Stories with Y.O. Lee. It's on all your podcast platforms. And guess what? There's even a video of it up on YouTube. I'm not, I'm not sure if I made the right choice going for the blurry background setting on Skype. Um, but it really did serve to highlight just how earnest I can be. I've got this earnest look on my face. Oh, well. Made me laugh anyway. Love it or hate it, social media has given me the chance to meet and partner up with like-minded artistic activist types. And Wyo said that when she gets the chance, she will come on my podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Don't forget, if you ever have any questions, um, for me generally, but gee, if Wyo comes on the podcast, it'd be a great opportunity to just open up with a few questions for her. You can send them to the eloquent in the room at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can send me anonymous questions anytime on the link on the links page at the eloquent in the room.com. That takes you to a survey page where there are questions you can answer anonymously, as well as a space for you to ask anonymous questions. Um, I'm here for you guys, and I really want to make this podcast about the things that everybody's curious about, not just me. In the meantime, I have had some wonderful feedback on just how reassuring and mind-tickling uh, the Ixnay on the Inery Bay series of interviews were about gender and sexuality. I know I got a lot out of them and I'm still getting a lot out of them the more I think about them. That's the cognitive bias thing I'm always trying to poke and prod and I know I thought of myself as a trans ally before but I never really immersed myself fully into the concepts around gender to the point that I could actually really, really understand at a very base level that gender is a construct and I'm still processing it. Ah, my, my brain is just eating it up in ways that make me realise just how lazy my thought processes have been up until now. I'm not going to lie to you and say, I've always been woke. I've been at best half awake, laying in bed, looking at my phone, wanting to be more woke, but I was usually nodding off half the time. The thing about things that really ring true is once you see them, you can't unsee them and I feel bad now that I wasn't a bigger trans ally. But I am now. So don't forget Trans Awareness Week commences on November 13. That's the end of this week and Trans Day of Remembrance is November 20. Remembrance of the victims of assault, bullying, violence, domestic and otherwise and to remember those who have died by suicide. Have you watched Disclosure yet on Netflix? No? Go fucking do it. Oh, well, not now, of course. Wait till the end of the podcast, then do it. One thing each episode of this podcast has had in common so far, while it seems we've been talking mostly about sex, is that we've been digging deeper, literally, figuratively. When you take away propaganda, prejudice, prudery and the patriarchy, what are we left with? People? Yeah, people. Diverse people, but still all people, human beings. And what is life but an accumulation of collected thoughts, feelings and experiences that trigger emotions? And our emotions drive pretty much everything. These unwieldy, 
difficult to process emotions can often dominate over the rest. So I guess it's time we start focusing on them. Which brings us into the topic we're going to dance around for the next few episodes, and that is the topic of consent. Sounds straightforward, doesn't it? (laughs) No, actually it's quite complicated. Just pause for a second and think to yourself right now, how much thought do you put into what you're consenting to when you consent to sex? And not just the consent you give to another person. What about the internal consent you give yourself? I'm talking particularly to women. How much consent do you give yourself to enjoy every aspect of what you're doing with others and what is being done to you? And how what is being done to you can affect others? How much of giving is receiving and vice versa? I was wondering how I was going to break into the touchy topic of consent the way I wanted to, which was to break everything down to its essential components. Like, even if it was just wanting to have better sex, why don't women say no to the things they don't want often enough? And don't ask for the things they do want often enough. And that's not even taking into account the fact that some people have no idea what they want and what they don't want. So while I was flailing around doing research and coming up with ways to approach this, I stumbled on Betty, beautiful Betty Martin. She's inspected and dissected every aspect of consent and has come up with a brilliant template for understanding it all. Betty's releasing a book, The Art of Receiving and Giving, The Wheel of Consent, At the beginning of this interview, I asked her if she wanted to focus on the book and she just wanted to have a fun chat, knowing full well that you guys can check out all the information she has stored for you on her website, which is at bettymartin.org. We are so cut from the same cloth in many ways because right there on her website are a bunch of really comprehensive videos for you to watch and you don't even have to sign up to a mailing list or cough up any money beforehand. She wants the information out there because it is vital information and she is brilliant at communicating it. Yes, she has courses that people can sign up for, professionals and lay people alike. But a comprehensive description of the Wheel of Consent is available for free in video form on her website for you to go and look at anytime you like at bettymartin.org. She's been teaching people about intimacy in the most hands-on way imaginable for decades. But she is a therapist and educator first and foremost, so she can explain anything and she's so chill so calm we had such a rich conversation which was filled with loads of tasty things to chew over and I was absorbed thinking about it for the next couple of weeks so that's why I've divided it into two parts because I want you to taste every bite I'm still picking bits from my teeth. Sorry, that's not a pretty picture, but I am committing to a metaphor, okay? I got so much out of it. So I want your 100% attention. The first part explores who Betty is, how she became involved in her work as a sacred intimate. That means a person who either gives pleasure therapeutically or acts as a sexual surrogate for teaching purposes. Yes. The mental picture you now have in your head is probably accurate. She's some kind of amazing broad, that's all I can say. In a crazy and poignant coincidence, the day after our interview, the other Betty, the great Betty Dodson, passed away at the age of 91. That tireless sexual empowerment coach and the groundbreaking author of Sex for One famously said, the most consistent sex will be the love affair you have with yourself. She also said, masturbation will get you through childhood, puberty, romance, marriage and divorce and will see you through into old age. She's not wrong. 
So before we get into the darker aspects of the topic of consent, let's look inward first and talk about how we perceive the giving and receiving of pleasure for its own sake. What is our relationship with our own bodies? When I kicked off this podcast talking about orgasm, right at the very beginning, we stuck pins in quite a few subtopics. So here we are again, dissecting the very concept of sensual pleasure itself. This is my jam. This is where it's all at as far as I'm concerned. We can talk about anatomy and physical details and technique till the cows come home. But when it all boils down to it, what I'm most interested in is the psychology around it and what makes us all tick, what holds us back, what drives us forward, what repels us, what compels us. Why aren't we more straightforward about the simple act of giving and receiving pleasure. I guess it's time to ask Betty. I'll check in with you later. You don't want to leave any interview without that very specific things unsaid. So I haven't uh, I haven't preempted with a list of questions. I've got a few curious questions. Uh-huh. Um, but this is your life's passion and this is your work and your book and all that sort of stuff. So I really want you to feel really free to go off on whatever tangent you want but but stay in your lane and, and really yeah. give your gift of knowledge and stuff Great, um, to you. me personally <laughs> and, to, <laughs> and to the people who are listening. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything in particular that I really want to cover? No, not really. I there are places to look up what I teach and it's, you know, it's easy to do. I'm really more interested in just a conversation and see where it goes. Yeah. It sounds a lot more fun to me. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the organic thing is sometimes when you accidentally hit upon Mm -hmm. something that you wouldn't have ordinarily if you, Mm -hmm. you had your list in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, obviously I did get your press kit, which is, which is wonderful. I'm, I'm in love with the opening phrase for for an opening question um, in regards to you having laid your hands on people. It just says, you know, you've had your hands on people professionally yeah. for over 40 years. Yeah. I, I, we're in the same sort of generation in that, in that case. Um, some of it legal, some of it questionable. So I presume that that is in there because you want to frame people's judgment um, or lack of mm-hmm. around where you came from, you weren't hatched in an egg and, and, <laughs> and here you are, this fully formed right. um, person that, that has got it all worked out. So you want to extrapolate on that for me? Are we rolling? We are. Okay. <laughs> but, but you can trust me, Betty. You can trust me. <laughs> the um, fact that you flashed your boobs at me okay. just before, that, that's not going in there. It's not going in. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have done sacred intimate work and surrog- uh, surrogate partner work and sex coaching and sexological body work. And is it legal? Not really. Is it? Um, yeah, it's not really legal. So when you say legal, is that insofar as there being some legislation for yeah. Yeah. what you what two people are doing uh, for the for something that's being as a paid occupation? Mm-hmm. Right. Is that yeah? You you can't put your hands on people's genitals mm. for money, right? For in, for for gratification. Now, if you are a physician, you can do it for medical reasons, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, and can you do it for educational reasons? That's nah, kind of a gray area. Yeah. And most of my work was, um, I framed it as educational. Uh, so, so let me just back up. Yep. So there's a sacred intimate. That's a term that was coined in, I don't know, in the 70s by Joseph Kramer of the Body Electric School. And... It, the, he, he wanted a term that was new because no one had quite figured out this, this um, business. 
And that was guiding people through erotic experiences that you might be going with them or you might be, they might be on the massage table and you might be helping, you might be giving them an erotic massage or you might be um, teaching them about themselves. You might be teaching them their anatomy. You might be taking them to states of arousal that they didn't know how, what to do with. And so they were learning about it. So there's a whole range of what a sacred intimate might do. Mm. Um, and it's generally erotic, although not necessarily um, erotic being pretty broadly defined, mm. but it <laughs> fair amount of the time it involves genitals. It's certainly not always. No, that's right. And, um, so, but it's done with the general intention to guide, support, help, um, heal, educate. Um, so as far as the law is concerned, it's illegal because it yeah. would be called prostitution. Historic partner work is is a little more questionable is probably more legal. It's where a person's working with a sex therapist. Yep. And in the old Masters and Johnson's way back in the 60s, they would give people exercises. Well, if you were single and didn't have a partner to do the exercises with, you needed someone to do the exercises with. Mm. So then you would hire a surrogate partner who had been trained to do the exercises with you. Yeah. And so is that gratification? Is it sex work? Is it educational work? You know, you could frame it probably a lot of different ways. Mm. Um, but that was definitely a gray area. Um, so coming through these various um, trainings, um, how much of them have been, um, you've been partially responsible for devising or wholly responsible for devising, or did you like have mentors on your way through that sort mm. of got you to where you are? Well, my, my background uh, was in chiropractic. I was a chiropractor for 30 years. Mm. And in my mid-40s, after divorce, I went to some workshops, had a kind of an erotic awakening of my own, and really dove in there for a handful of years and just exploring and discovering who I am as an erotic being and, and experimented with a handful of friends who'd also taken some of those workshops and, and it really expanded my understanding of what Eros is mm. it's not just sticking something in an orifice somewhere mm. it's you know how does it feel in your body the moving the breathing the dancing the touching the massage the experiences um, and the expression of arousal and turn on in ways besides just sticking something in an orifice like that that narrow definition of sex grew Hugely. And that's what I wanted to offer to other people. So when I took a sacred intimate training, uh, it was only a couple of weeks. So, you know, it was not very deep, but it was based on having done this kind of exploring myself for, you know, five years or so. And I think that's, that's true of any really decent training is that you need to have the experiences yourself. It's like if you want to be a therapist, the most important part of your work is your own therapy. It's very much the same way, probably. Yeah, at least at least it's the same way. As, so what as was that. your previous relationship with your sexuality prior to this awakening? Oh, it's pretty standard cookie cutter, um, hetero. Uh, you know, it was I was reasonably functional. I didn't have any big major problems, but I just knew that there was something was missing and there was more to the picture. Mm. Um, and then as I began exploring why the picture just got really big, like, oh my gosh, this is an option. Oh my gosh, this is an option, you know. Yeah. So it Can was Can you give me an example of, of, of uh, well, one of your first light bulb moments? Um. My first light bulb 
moment was at this first workshop, which was a women's workshop. Um, and part of it involved being on the massage table, giving each other erotic massages with some breath work and things added it was very, very powerful. Yeah. And what I learned at that workshop was that my eroticism belonged to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it came from me and my body. Mm-hmm. And I was raised in the 1950s in the South that my sexuality belonged to somebody else. Like mm-hmm. it was in response to what somebody else thought was sexy, what somebody else wanted, what somebody else's turn on, usually men or at that time, exclusively men. And um, so discovering that it belonged to me was just a huge, huge opening and a big mm. aha. Yeah. Um, I, think, yeah. I think just from what little or, you know, it feels like extensive research to me sometimes, um, talking to people and stuff, yeah. that seems to be the, the real... Um, differentiation between what older women understand because sometimes you just discover yeah. it as you get older anyway yeah. just because yeah. of the depth of experience and the the long-term relationships yeah. and stuff your yeah. body does tell you things that your mind previously dismissed sooner or yeah. later yeah but yeah. every every woman goes into that realm with that understanding of their their uh, role to yeah. be objectified, uh, yeah. to be to be a vessel, um, right. our own pleasure is definitely something we knowingly know is there. But the acquired taste of what that looks like yeah. is very confusing, and it yeah. still is for young women. Sure. And this this is yeah. something that makes me cry inside Betty. <laughs> I don't know about yes. you but but yeah. and I don't have any daughters see I have three yeah. sons and I don't have any yeah. daughters and the most exciting thing for me about talking to you um, is that everybody's talking about consent now but mm-hmm. pretty much only thinking about consent as yes or no to sex and what that looks right. like yeah. and yeah. your your consent yeah. model is a conversation that you're having with your own psyche, your own emotions, mm-hmm. your own body in the context of who you are, how you feel, and how you want to have a conversation with someone yeah. else about what that looks like. Yeah. Genuine intimacy. And it's yeah. uh, it's so, yeah, I, I, go, I get all goose pimply <laughs> when I think about it. Um, I think it came from, you know, most of my sexual experience had been with a partner and being in love and being about finding the intimacy between two people and really engaging with a partner. And what allowed me to discover that it was about me was these experiences in which my cohorts and I, one of us would be on the massage table and the other ones would be serving us on the table. Mm. And so the experience was not about the connection. Mm. The experience was what is my body capable of? Mm. Because it's not about what no one's making out. No one's falling in love. No one's having sex. It's just like here, my hands are assisting you on the table to have your experience, but the experience is yours. Yeah. And I think I had to take apart I had to take, I had to separate my experience from the connection with the other person. Mm. And it's not that you're ignoring the other person. It's just that it's your turn. You're on the table and their hands are serving you. It's not about them. It's about you. (laughs) And so I, I think that's where a lot of that came from. I'm sure it is. Yeah. The reason I'm giggling is in recognition um, of, uh, a thing I went to a few years ago, which was called a tantric experience night. It mm-hmm. was a social thing, men and women. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of speaking to women and men um, individually mm-hmm. and then interaction en masse. And at one of these events, it was lie on the floor 
while you're surrounded by people and you learn about consent just by people understanding how you are reacting. And whether you want to invite physical touch. And it still wasn't specifically sexual. It was fully clothed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember at the time thinking when it was my turn that I at the time was thinking, well, anything could happen to me at this point. <laughs> but I wanted, I didn't know if I had permission to go as far as I wanted to with it. So, ah, it yeah. so that, uh, if anyone was to say if there was a, a bucket list thing on my yeah. agenda, it would be <laughs> to participate in that kind of experience, yeah. either uh, both as a recipient and as a, and as a giver, just yeah. to really give people um, and give myself um, the absolute sensorial feeling yeah. of having multiple hands it's on your body because I love being a massage it's more than anything. But, yeah. but, the, but the concept of that, I think, um, in, in social experiences could be um, just, just a really uh, nourishing thing as much as going to have a facial or going to have a massage or, oh, or anything like oh, yeah. that. So how much of that kind of experience did you have back then that was about opening up as a as a recipient? Oh, several years things? worth. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot. And uh, both um, with we had a group of about five women who had been to this first workshop, been to a couple of others. Then I went to a number of other workshops by the same group over several years. Um, then I started assisting at their workshops. Some were same gender, some were mixed gender. I started assisting at their training workshops. And, and meanwhile, I was meeting with my, my local cohorts and every month. So a lot. Mm. And um, it was a really, it was a spiritual path for me for some years. It's like, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) And how does this body work? Did you feel invigorated or, uh, you know, preoccupied? You know, all the things that can happen Um, when when you've had a physical awakening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, um, it was an emotional awakening as well it was um was a lot of questioning Mm. like we used to joke and ask each other like is this sex like I don't know you know like we're doing these things with these body parts but it's not about coupling yeah so we you know we we would joke about well is this sex I don't know if this is who I am erotically this is what I'm capable of this is what my body experiences Mm. what does that mean about my relationship with my lover, with my friends, you know, if you're, if you're at that time at any rate, if we can't get naked together, we're probably not going to be friends. Mm. Like if we can't get naked and jump in the river together, yeah. we're probably not going to be friends, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it was, what is the nature of relationship? What is the nature of lovemaking? I don't know. I, mm. I, you know, those definitions kind of cease to make much sense to me. So you feel, feel like your, your bar has been set in regards to all of your relationships, friendships, lover, yeah. loverships, yeah. Um, that, it's, that it's all very much about you, you can't help but be emotionally intimate and, and, and present and, and erotic at this similarly it's it's a holistic sort of thing for you maybe well with, among some friends of course I mean yeah. there are a lot of most friends I'm not erotic with of course mm. yeah um, and you do have to learn how to um how to bring it out to play and how to set it aside because this is mm. not the time yeah it's not the person and you know I mean there's, there's that you, do you recall you, having everywhere do you recall having moments where you you were really conscious of having to set boundaries because of urges that were like hammering away at you? Um, sure. I mean, there were people yeah. that I was very attracted to. It was like, oh my gosh, I'd like to climb all over you, <laughs> but I'm not gonna. 
Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything about it either. And you are nothing but trouble, so I ain't going there. <laughs> well, that's a, a human to human. Was it always um, like you you avoided trouble, or was it? Have you had moments where you've you've felt heartsick or or any sort of emotion ab- about someone that you were b- becoming attached to, but you, for some, whatever reason it was, you weren't able to or shouldn't go there. Um. Like, did I ever have really strong yearnings for someone that was off limits? Yeah. Not, not so much, really. Mm. I mean, I had, I, yeah, I was, I can't say I was ever consumed by it. Yeah. But I certainly met people that I <laughs> wanted to climb all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you, uh, and on the other side of the coin, have people had trouble um, with their boundaries around you? Um, by their boundaries, you mean? In regards to what was appropriate, what wasn't appropriate, feelings and, and well, stuff. Some, but sometimes people wanted some things that I wasn't available for, sure. Yeah. I think that happens all the time. Yeah. So, so after I'd been doing this work with my cohorts for a number of years half yeah. a dozen years I I realized you know I'm I want to offer these kinds of experiences to other people mm. so I closed my chiropractic office and I moved to the city and I opened a new studio and hung out my shingle and put out brochures this is before websites put out brochures and mm. you know described what I was doing and so when was that this was in uh 99, right. 2000, yeah. Um, uh, so I started seeing clients and it was kind of a, a coaching approach. And because I was a clinician, I had sort of a clinical approach of, you know, taking through some things that will assess their current level of skill and their current level of awareness and their current level of comfort and, and then guide them through experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then after doing that for two or three years, I realized that I wanted to, um, I, for people for whom it seemed useful and for people with whom I was comfortable, mm-hmm. I wanted to offer more, uh, specifically sexual experiences. Yeah. So I knew I had to charge more for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so I created a new name and put up a new website. By this time I did have a website um, and charged twice as much. And, um, and so I had two practices. One is Betty Martin, which was kind of on the up and up, and it was about the coaching, and most sessions were clothed. I was always clothed. And another as Beth Morgan, which mm-hmm. was the more the sacred intimate kind of work. Okay. And, um, Beth Morgan charged a lot more and she, she was happy to get undressed. Yeah. If it seemed useful, it wasn't yeah. always, I mean, you know, there was a full range of some people were completely clothed. We were talking, we were playing, we were b- doing breath work. Some people, we were not clothed and we were touching. And so it, it was really a full range because it depended on, what is useful for this person? Mm. And that was the question I was always asking. What is useful for this person? And if, if all you offer is this one, one kind of experience, a certain type of massage or something, you can certainly do that. Mm. But if, you're, if your focus is more on coaching and supporting people, you can't do the same thing with everybody because it's not useful for them. Mm. And so that was a big part of learning for me. And, um, uh, yeah, so that, was, that was a lot of what I was learning. Is there, um, have you noticed over the years that there's a particular, um, obviously you're going to get a really wide range of different people coming to you for different reasons, but were there particular reasons that were, um, compet- you know, repetitive or, or whatever that mm. you could sort of um, feel like 
there's a human condition or mm-hmm. um, previous experience or something that does block people or prejudice them against their own pleasure or their own experience? Hmm. That's a good question. I think generally in, in a very broad stroke, what people were coming for was to learn how to relax in their skin Mm. and have some more confidence and not be afraid Mm. of their own pleasure, not be afraid of sex. Mm. And that looked a lot of different ways, but that was kind of under it. And I think a lot of that, of course, comes from our um, Puritan culture that we swim in. Mm that pleasure is just questionable and sex is really questionable. Yeah. And, and at the same time, bad. you're supposed to know and it's supposed to be natural and you're, you're, you're supposed to just be, you're supposed to just know, which is just a terrible thing to teach people. Mm. Um, but a lot of it was getting comfortable with desire mm. and getting comfortable with pleasure in their own skin, being able to notice how you want to be touched or what you would like to happen and how to ask for it. Mm. That was, that turned out to be a really central part of my work that I never would have guessed before. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how old you are, but it's, it feels like this. Yeah. I just turned 70. Congratulations. (laughs) 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 Happy birthday to you. Um, yeah, so we 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 saw this uh, evolution of um, empowerment, or I felt like it was evident in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. um, where the idea of mutual pleasure was on the table. Um, and I don't know if it's because I experienced lovers in my life that were not only up for giving me pleasure but kind of obsessed with it either because Mm -hmm. they got sexually gratified by me being turned on being Mm -hmm. the thing that turned them on or if it was mainly an ego thing but that could be a Mm -hmm. line ball thing as well but yeah but they were fascinated and interested in and uh for the most part um as uh as engaged Mm -hmm. in what in, in this orgasm situation and all that sort of stuff, as engaged in that as I was, mm-hmm. more so than, say, people that I've encountered in more recent years that are, mm. more, are more engaged in practices but not actually checking in with someone about whether or not that, that this practice is an actual orgasmic practice. Yeah. Like I'm talking specifically yeah. about online dating when someone just wants yeah. to say, do you do this? Do you do that? Are you oh, into that? Oh, yeah, right. You yeah. know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a checklist. Yeah. I thought when I used yeah. to go to bars in my 30s, no one had the menu out and were, you right. know, ticking boxes of what are you into. It was like eye contact, subtle body language, and, yeah. you know, it it happened or it didn't happen sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, again, it was – it just felt like there was less pressure to mm-hmm. be anything other than a woman who enjoys having sex. I didn't feel like I had to um, do anything more gratifying than be a person that enjoys sex. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I, I guess, oh I guess, God. I guess it's because, uh, like I say, I was married for a long time, so I guess it's because that person was gratified by my enjoyment of sex as well as their own. Yeah, and that was that was a lesson. That was mm-hmm. the number one lesson that I learned in my life. I, mm-hmm. You know, you don't know until you're out there. Mm-hmm. What do people want? But my my brain was telling me, in the heteronormative sense. Men want women to enjoy it because there's a lot of psychological stuff going on with them with shame. Oh, yeah. And oh, with, yeah. yeah, and with feeling um, respectful and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, 
obviously a lot of people are oblivious to it. A lot of men are oblivious to it. But mm-hmm. but I learned to overcome prejudices that I had to discover mm-hmm. the, the shame that some men had around mm-hmm. certain sexual practices and, and all yeah. that sort of stuff because yeah. I was used to things done in a certain way. So um, yeah. that's totally off track really. But I guess um, my next question was going to be whether your volume of clients at at that stage in your in your sacred um, workshops and practice, um, what was the male female ratio? As Betty, um, as I was doing the coaching, it was pretty much half and half. It was pretty yeah. even divided. As Beth, where the experiences were sexier, it was probably ninety percent men. Okay. Yeah. And they wanted to learn how to give? They wanted to learn. Sometimes they just wanted to come to a place where they could have some warm, yummy, sexy time and relax. And Mm. that is a damn good reason. Like, that is a good enough reason. Mm. So, um so there was that, and I, I did a fair amount of erotic massage, which I just really enjoy. It was a lot mm. of fun because there's, you know, times when you're, you're not really there to instruct. You're just there to give somebody a wonderful time on the table. That's great. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were, uh, were hungry for feminine contact. Mm. And I think the reason for that is because... Uh, this is a more general statement that men uh, are socialized to not have contact with each other. And so they have to rely on women to have any contact at all. So they, so really they wanted human contact. And in their mind, that meant female contact. Um, and a lot of times they, there was people who wanted to learn more about a woman's body or how to pleasure a woman or, um, a lot of it was just relaxing with their own skin. Mm-hmm. It, it just came down to that. Like, and the, the shame and the guilt uh, and the, the shame of not knowing what to do was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, the guilt of wanting anything at all for themselves. To the degree that we don't know how to experience pleasure in our own bodies, we have to be vicarious with it. We have to give somebody else pleasure or we have nothing. Hmm. And so it's wonderful to be able to give somebody else pleasure. But if that's the only route you have, that's kind of a problem. Because hmm. now if I don't get you turned on, I have nothing. Yeah. So that means you have to get turned on. So that means you're going to perform getting turned on even when you aren't. And I've been yeah. there. I imagine yeah. most people have been there. And this is the, the other side of the liberation of the 60s and 70s that you were talking about. Mm. Yeah, it became more acceptable for women to enjoy sex. And it also became a certain kind of expected that women were supposed to enjoy sex and if they didn't like what you were doing, then there must be something wrong with them. Yeah. With us. And so yeah. That yeah. was the other, that was the downside of that. Yeah. The entitlement. Yeah. Now that women yeah. enjoy sex, they're going to say yes to just about anything. So yeah, yeah there was that extreme view. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, among many women have been subject to the, yes. the downside <laughs> of that. So, um, and yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. it's what we're dealing with now in college campuses and and all that yeah, sort of stuff. I, it's, I, it's that yeah. entitlement and and certain groups that are forming based on that entitlement. Just yeah. because someone enjoys something doesn't mean they enjoy it, regardless you. of who the person is. <laughs> that, that, that can be indiscriminate. Yeah. Um, is it? You know, I guess somewhere deep down inside, there's a basic belief that men have that because they either are or think they are or feel like they are indiscriminate themselves, if they're only tuning into their body's reaction to something rather than heart than their heart or their mind, that if that's the way they think because they enjoy sex, then women who enjoy sex 
must feel the same way. Oh, a body. Hmm. Hence sending dick pics and things like that. Like my my opinion of that sort of thing is like, if you were hard before I already got here, what, you know, who am I in this, in this, you know, (laughs) transaction? So I was never, I never understood the whole disembodied body part photographs that people would send. I'm like, let's have a conversation and see how that goes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I think our our sexuality because we live in this puritan culture our sexuality is so just fucked up yeah it's just messed up it's dumbed because, down isn't it it's yes, really it, dumbed it down is. to yeah something and that's it's so, so basic narrow, like okay it's this body part inserting or at least rubbing up against this other body part mm. and because it's so taboo mm. When you have something that's taboo, it also becomes compelling. Mm, mm. So you're not really supposed to have any pleasure. You're not really supposed to have a body. You're not supposed to have a desire. You're not supposed to desire this person or that person. And you're not supposed to have this particular body part that does these weird things. Yeah. And so you, of course, we get compulsive about it. Mm. And I, and uh, among my clients, particularly the men, there was a certain amount of compulsion and like, man, there's zero in for the genitals. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. slow down. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> we may go many sessions without ever getting to the genitals because yeah what they needed was to discover that they had a body. Mm. And I think that's part of, it's part of our culture. I think it's also part of how boys are raised that, um, you know, your, your body's supposed to be athletic, but it's not supposed to be pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certain kind of suspect if you're sensual, Mm. um, you know, that's for girls. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I think, I think, and then besides, if you don't, as a man, if you don't have access to being close and emotionally intimate with other men or physically intimate or hugging, mm. then all that need, the need for companionship, the need for relaxation, the need for intimacy, the need for affection, mm. the need for communication, the need for talking, the need for acceptance, all those things get funneled into sex yeah and so you're trying to meet all those needs with sex Mm. and that's a recipe for disaster absolutely yeah it's absolutely it's it's kind of like saying um you know all you can have to eat is chocolate (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) and how much you miss out on if like yeah chocolate's nice chocolate's really nice but have you had the texture of a really good salad you know like (laughs) you know the and a little bit of dressing on there oh my god um yeah um now what I was going to say too is um do you characterize yourself I don't like buzzwords and stuff but how much of what you do is empathic like when someone walks into your office or whatever your situation is studio um or you might have several people in the room, how much of you is either picking up on other people's energy um, and almost knowing before they open their mouth what their, what their hang-up might be or, or where they're at? Like, does that ever happen? Oh, well, I, tell me what you mean by empathic. Um, I would just if... You know how um, I don't know if you've ever read the Celestine prophecy, but just but just the energy when people have energy, sometimes people can walk through a door, and if they're they've had a bad week or, or whatever, yeah. they can't help but project that energy and suck all the positive energy out of every room they walk into, and the the default seems to be people get drawn into um, the negativity or whatever, um, so you get people that are sometimes, uh, um, you know, big personality or or whatever, is there, I'm just totally, (laughs) totally just riffing on this, Um, 
that that you could be with person one on one and they could be really sure what their problem is or really sure what they want and do you find yourself trying to give them what they think they want or are you able to sort of uh, sift through to find the gold of what you have a feeling oh, they they're not like, seeing how long do you have <laughs> <laughs> oh it's a juicy couple question isn't it I, it's, I, it's a juicy question well a couple yeah. things I don't use the word energy in that way okay because the word energy has so many meanings that I'm not really sure what it means. Yeah. And I think that very often we use the word energy when, when what we're really talking about is what are you seeing on this person's face and this person's body language that makes you think that they feel X, Y, Z. And, um, and it's, it's very easy to, or we say, well, that person affects my energy. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're really saying is when I see that person, I feel turned on. Or when I see that person, I get mad. Mm-hmm. Or when I see that person, I feel sad or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, but using the word energy is very often used as a way to avoid taking responsibility for the fact that we have our own experience. Mm. So when you're saying, okay, someone, you know, brings negative energy, I think what we're really saying is that when that person walks into the room, I feel sad. Yeah. That's a very different statement than this person sucked up the energy because it makes me take responsibility for when that person walked in the room, I, I feel sad. Yeah. That's a very different statement. Mm. So that's kind of my little sermon on, on energy. It, but it's also related to, I think, you know, if, if empathic means I have empathy or compassion for people, yeah, I, mm. I, I hope I do. I think I do. Yeah. Usually. And, um, but what I'm, what I'm picking up, even though I may not be so conscious about it, I'm picking up their body signals, Mm. their facial expressions, probably their smell that I can't even notice. Yeah. Um, the tone of their voice, Mm. where they look with their eyes. Well, 70% Um, of communication is supposed to be body language. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I'm definitely picking up on that. Mm. Um, sure. And I, I think we all are. And I think I have a fair amount of confidence in picking up those things because I have followed through and with verbal communication. So if somebody looks sad, I'm going to ask them how they're feeling, what they notice you know, where they feel it in their body. Mm. Um, and then it comes out that, yeah, they are sad. So now I'm going to trust my, my perception a little more. And I trust my perception pretty well because I have talked to so many people about how they experience and what they feel and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but can I be wrong? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But then the, the other question is, am I trying to give them what, I, what they're asking for or what I think they actually need? Mm. And it's some of both because um, sometimes people have a need, for example, a need for comfort mm. or connection, just human warmth and connection. They may not know that that's what the need is. They think they need a hand job. Mm. So, but because we're slowing down and talking about what their interest is and what they need and how they feel and can they breathe and can they move and, you know, how do you want to be touched right now as a, for a few minutes as a get acquainted kind of touch, we're exploring and making the options, we're enlarging the options. Mm. So that then they actually 
are able to notice, oh, you know what, actually, what I want is just to be held. Yeah. Great. We can do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sometimes we think we know what we want, but it's mm. because we, we have a strategy for getting this need met. This idea of needs and strategies comes from um, Marsha Rosenberg. We have this idea of like, I want X, Y, Z because I want to feel this other thing. Well, if we realize what we want to feel, we might find out that there's a better strategy to get there. Mm. And in general, um, I'm teaching people how to notice what they want and how to, to ask for it. And so... Um, so before we go to the hand job, we're going to spend some time noticing what you want, asking for it, exploring, experimenting with some things. And then if it turns out that, yeah, hand job is really great, then we, we may do that. But it, mm. it's, um, but we may not, we, we may end up going in a whole different direction. Mm. So the answer to that question was yes and no. <laughs> Well, how much of what you do is eye contact and mm-hmm. and hand holding and just yep. creating a space of um, intimacy, which may or may not be comfortable for people. But is that for me not being a layperson? For me, I'm thinking that would be the first step of anything I would do with anybody mm-hmm. else is yeah. sit and just be comfortable in each other's personal space. Yeah, but try absolutely. to but try to get a comfortable connection. Mm-hmm. That absolutely that was around particularly eye contact, if not physical yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah, and for me, that's mostly in. We'll sit on the couch and chat and talk mm-hmm. and find out where you've been, what you're up to and what you want, want what you want to be better for mm-hmm. you in your life and what you've tried so far and yeah. Yeah. Every time I start to ask a question or think about a question, I, I think I haven't got we haven't got enough time to talk about so <laughs> many things that I want to talk to you about, Betty. Um, see what I mean? There is so much to unpack in there, some really nice little chestnuts in that conversation, particularly around um, having lots of needs, lots of human needs and not really knowing how to um, go about asking for them or to just experience them in our everyday life. And it is generally easier for women to experience incidental intimacy and human touch because we are by nature more affectionate and it is more socially acceptable for women to be affectionate and intimate with conversation and talk about feelings and stuff. Men, not so much. So I know that in my first marriage, one of the reasons why I acquiesced to the amount of sex that he wanted was because he wasn't affectionate outside the bedroom and my heart and soul and mind and my wounded child and childhood trauma and all that sort of stuff wanted lots of cuddles and lots of eye contact and lots of hand holding and he just wasn't into it so I funneled a lot of it into sex got good at sex but it kind of stunted my ability to be vulnerable in everyday situations and reach out for comfort and to cry in front of people. So sound familiar? I'm betting it does. So that was the first half and now you've got the second half to look forward to. In the meantime, you may as well jump onto her website. I'm going to put the links in the show notes and have a look at the wheel of consent and how it all works and it'll prime you for the second half. We do talk about it eventually. It seems like we're not talking about the book that much, but we do talk about it. But it's in amongst just a really nice, comfortable, easy conversation between two women who have been around the block a few times. So it was a massive treat for me, which just, it did, it stayed with me in such a warm way for, for about a week afterwards. But also got me thinking about my emotions because we talk more about emotions in the second half and um, 
I have a few light bulb moments during the conversation, let me tell you. So you can have quite the fly on the wall experience with uh, with all of this and uh, vicariously um, live through the squirmy emotion stuff with me. <laughs> Talk about taking one for the team. And speaking of the team, don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Um, If you do enjoy the podcast, please share it around to people who you think might also enjoy it. Don't forget to like, share, rate, review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. It all helps boost the algorithm. The more I get algorithm action, (laughs) the bigger my audience will grow, the bigger my audience will grow, the more likelihood I might be able to get some sponsorship or donations to encourage me to keep going with it. Currently it's running on the smell of an oily rag and I'm not even kidding. Um, But, you know, I'm going to keep doing it anyway as long as I can. Guys... I'm going to catch up with you next time. In the meantime, give yourself a really big, big, squeezy, warm hug for me. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough six months. It's been a tough month. It's been a tough week. Just go really gentle with yourself. And I hope that this particular episode relaxed you a bit. Go and have a bath. Give yourself some pleasure. Betty Dodson would want you to. Congratulations, Joe and Kamala. <laughs>